welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Those of you that need a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to give you a paper Bible to have and to hold. We'll even have really special people like Ryan sign it for you, date it, and you'll always remember. This is the day that I physically came into contact with Ryan Smith. And you can, he'll sign it, put a thumbprint on it. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We we'll give you one. If you already have your Bible, please open it to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have a Bible app, that's almost the same, says the guy preaching from a computer. <laughs> Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us. Do you see that? You know, how many people are super, super excited and they think like, that's it. They crossed the finish line. They did the salvation thing. I said the prayer. You know, I got wet in the pool. I'm good. I'm done. I'm outie. You know, now I can just go on cruise control and chill the rest of my life. We call it saved and stuck. This is normal American Christianity, which is saved and stuck. We, uh, Pastor Craig and me and Pastor Bob, we literally ministered to a bunch of these people yesterday. Saved and stuck. 20, 30, 40, 50 years stuck. Because they probably have never really meditated on just these four words. Who has saved, past tense, us, and called us, past tense. Same time, both things. You were saved, you were called. Before you were saved, you were created for it. After you were saved, you were called. Because you had spiritual ears, and he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit of God has to say. I could stay there for a long time, I'm not going to. And look at the calling who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. What kind of calling? Holy! I had a guy come up to me, God bless him. This was a long time ago, nobody in this church. So, quit looking around. A guy came up to me and he said, uh, I'm doing my, I preached on destiny uh, in their church and, and he's like, I'm doing my destiny. I'm like, that's awesome, bro. What are you doing? He's like, man, I drive a beer truck. I said, okay. What's in the beer truck? <laughs> he, you, people do this all the time. They justify. People don't actually want to be righteous. They want to be justified. Man, I'll tell you, if that sinks in, oh, that, that right there could change. That is potentially changing lives right now. 
Because a lot of people will argue, debate, fight over what they're doing, how they are, how they've been, and how they got there, instead of just acknowledging the fact that you're wrong. And agree with God and move on. I've had people come by the hundreds that want to come and sit in my office and counsel with me, and I'll say, okay, we'll you know, do these two, three, four, five things. No. What do you mean, no? Well, I'm not doing that. Why are you here? And I'd say the same thing. Why are you here in a church if God reveals His ways and His will to your heart? Why are you, why are you sitting in a church if you're just going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, I'll just hang out until God gives me something that I'm willing to do. Well, then He's not God. You are. I heard the moan. I'll move on. Who has called us to a holy calling? You can probably, this goes back to destiny, you can probably see maybe what you're doing in your life, how you're living your life, may or may not be your destiny. This is one of the ways to figure it out. Is it holy? And some things are amoral, okay? If you're... When I was in the restaurant business, the restaurant business is amoral. I can do it unto the Lord and feed people. Or I can do it unto myself myself, and do it in a carnal way and just do it for all the money and hurt and, and not give a rip about people. So some things are just amoral. But other things, and I'm not even going to go there, you can look through your life and you can find out if you are advancing evil things in the kingdom of darkness then you might just be a tool that the enemy is using and you're savvying over it by saying, well, I'm a Christian and I'm trying to bring light to a dark place. Well, let me ask you this. Are you? Are you? Are you bringing light? Are people's lives being changed? Are you leading people to the Lord? Are you laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover? Are you baptizing folks in the Holy Spirit and seeing them pray with other tongues? Are you leading people into freedom and liberty? Are you getting them out of oppression and depression? Are you discipling people? Are you changing your environment? Are you being changed by your environment? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. So this is not about the flesh, your own muscle, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Check this out. Before time began. You might have been a shock and a surprise to your parents. But you are not a surprise to God. All of you that have maybe grown up your whole life thinking, well, my parents said I was a mistake, and my parents this, and and my environment this. Every time you say that, you are reaffirming your lack of value, and you're reaffirming the fact that you don't actually think God had anything to do with your existence. Don't ever do that again. You were born where you were supposed to be born, to whom you were supposed to be born. God was a part of the scenario. Does that mean that God did everything, all the bad stuff you experienced when you were a kid? Did God do that? No. Stupid people did that. 
maybe stupid parents. I've been a stupid parent. I've done stupid stuff. And, and, but we trained our kids, we tried to train our kids, that when we made mistakes, that was us, that wasn't God. When we were doing it right, that was God. When we were doing it wrong, totally not God. And praise God, we got two healthy kids that love us and love God, and, and they forgave us for all the stupid in the past. Now I'm perfect. So everything I tell them... <laughs> but now has been revealed... Now is revealed. Notice the difference between being put in and then the revelation of it. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Boy, howdy. Could I go down that rabbit trail for about two hours? We embrace death. Jesus abolished death. You think that you're getting older, so you need to experience more death. Jesus said, I abolished that. Why are you agreeing with it? Well, because the TV told me to. Well, then pick your Lord. It's either TV Lord, who's telling you a vision, television, or it's the Father, who is telling you His vision for your life, and His vision for your life includes death being abolished. Either that or you need to get a different Bible because the one you're holding probably has this part in it. Amen. And abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of the good news. To which, verse 11, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Notice those are three different things. Your destiny doesn't have to be just this one little thing that you do and nothing else touches it. No, you you can touch many things in your destiny. I do lots of stuff. I do lots of stuff. And I love all the stuff I do. That's okay, as long as you're doing it by grace in accordance with your calling. For this reason, verse 12, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Man, boy howdy. Uh, Jennifer got lambasted for filing a lawsuit. Jennifer and Luke got lambasted. Well, what are you doing? Leave the kids alone. They're, they're safer with their masks on in the school. No, they're not. Same thing with me. I was raked over the coals because I told the governor that he wasn't the Lord of our church and got blasted by all the Christians. There's persecution in this stuff. That's okay. If you're not being persecuted, you're not godly. Thanks, Bob. Uh, It says, all those that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you're not being persecuted... Okay, I'll move on. Amen! Yay, I'll do like Bob. That's a good... I can't do it. For I know whom... Check this out. Whom... Remember, that's one of the parts of your destiny. Whom... I know whom I have believed... And am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him unto that day. Follow this. This is really, really powerful language. He keeps what you commit. His part, his faithfulness part, his divine part is the keeping. Your part is the committing. No committing, 
no keeping. If you're in here and you're like, man, I have really never truly experienced the faithfulness of God. You know what I could probably say? Likely you haven't committed anything to his faithfulness. You've never actually put yourself out there. Or in other words, you're one of the disciples in the boat that's sinking, wondering why Peter, with his big stupid feet, are out there on the water. Hey, dummy, you're going to sink. The boat is sinking. Go read the verses. The boat was taking on water. The boat was singing, sinking, singing. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Don't you know all the disciples were like, stupid Peter? Nobody walks on the water except for Jesus. He's out there right now. But nobody else except for Peter. He's doing it right now. But nobody else. They're in a sinking boat. And they wouldn't get out to go walk on the water with Peter. Oh, dear Jesus. How many people are living a sinking life? And they'd rather just be in the sinking boat because the, com- the, the comfortability of being in the boat that you're familiar with, the familiarity and the comfortability of the boat, even though it's sinking, is better than being out there on the water. Yeah. <sighs> he keeps what we commit to Him to keep. This is why it's so important to have your finances being done in the kingdom because if you're not actually doing your finances in a kingdom way, if you're just doing it the world's way, then you have not given it to Him for Him to keep. Which means you got to keep it. Is anybody paying attention to the ignorant economics of the current world system? They are expecting at any moment a stock market crash, a... Uh, the inflation is already at uh, set. Well, if you, I'm not even going to go there. It's off the charts. We have the highest inflation that we've ever had outside of war times, official war times, not the fake false flag Russian war thing, the actual wars that were in our past. We have the highest inflation ever, which means that as you're sitting there, the money in your pocket is worth less than when you walk out. The economics of this world are just satanic. And if you're going to keep your finances and not put them into the kingdom for him to keep, good luck, sister. I hope you got some really good insurance. You're going to need it. But if you put it into his keep, if you put your health in the care of the doctors and the hospitals. Oh dear Jesus, please tell me that somebody has read the truth about what's happening to people going to doctors and hospitals right now. You want them to keep you? Are you for real? There's things I would say if the YouTube wasn't rolling. They're not right now out there for your good. Amen. We... If you're going to expect them to keep you healthy, I don't know how to help you. God is a way better physician than any physician that you'll ever meet on this earth. And I know that all of you agree because you're sitting in a church. But I also know that I could go to most of your guys' houses and open up your medicine cabinet and find out who your real physician is. Because his name will be on your stuff. 
Ain't nobody got it. I ain't never pulled a pill out of anybody's medicine cabinet when I was in sneaking around in their bathrooms and said, <laughs> can't wait to invite Pastor Steve to my house. <laughs> I ain't never pulled a pill jar down and said, oh, this, this prescription was issued by Dr. Jesus. No, I ain't never. Maybe Jesus. We haven't committed those things to him. So he can't keep them. And I'm not, I'm not, if you're not there, I'm okay with that. You know, you gotta be where you are in your faith. I'm just saying, the reason that maybe you haven't experienced his faithfulness in, those, in keeping those things is because you haven't committed them to his keep. And a lot of people will try it. They'll be like, here, hold this. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry, my bad. Here, hold this. Here, hold this. And they do, that's their cycle. That's their 20, 30, 40 year Christian cycle. I'm in church. The worship is awesome. Tears are flowing. Kids are waving flags. Jesus, you can have my whole life. Whoa, 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 whoa. Worship is over. Let me take that back and take that back and take that back and take that back. Okay, preach. And God is a gentleman. You can give and take all you want. You want to take your health back from Him and you want to put it on your plate and for you to manage it, go right on. You want to manage your uh, finances, God ain't going to take your money. You want to manage your emotional health? You want to keep yourself happy? You better get a pill because that's about the only way it's going to work. Well, I'm going to get married and that will make me happy. Oh, you need to come to the Marriage Covenant weekend and find out. That ain't the purpose of marriage is to make you happy. Ask Kay. What we haven't committed to him, he can't keep. I was uh, probably 20, I don't know. I was in my 20s. And I uh, went over to a friend's house and the, uh, this friend had horses. And so we were going to go on a horse ride together and uh and something happened and so they couldn't go on a horse ride so they said hey just take that one and go you know ride wherever you want and so the that one was the wrong one horse and so i got on the wrong horse and i took off for a ride and this horse was the most cantankerous rebellious christian horse that I'd ever rode. I wanted it to do stuff, it wouldn't do it. I wanted it to to gallop, it wouldn't gallop. I wanted it to not gallop and it would gallop. I wanted it to go left, it'd go right. I want the whole for like, I don't know, an hour. I'm like totally fighting this horse. I'm like, animals. I turn around to go back, because I'm done. And I got back in like 10 minutes, hanging on for dear life. Because the horse wanted to be in the barn. There's a term for it, for those of you that are hip to the jive, it's called barn sour. Barn sour. What barn sour is, is the horse really doesn't want to be rid. Rode. Ridden. Whatever. It wants to be in the barn. Because the barn's where the food is, the barn's where they're comfortable, the barn's where all their horse pals are, the barn is where they want to be. They want to be in the barn. 
regardless of the fact that they were created for me to ride. And I know some of you are like, the horses weren't created. But okay. I'm going to agree with you or God. You, you pick later. He was, that horse was, was built, designed, destined for Steve Castle that day to go ride that horse. And I had a terrible experience because the horse was barn sour. It had a philosophy of being in the safe place with all of its friends and getting fat, probably getting horse arthritis, and not being allowed to take ivermectin because it was just for people. Take that, YouTube. Your horse dewormer. Barn sour. A horse that doesn't like to leave the barn or stable and balks or otherwise disobeys rearing up or runs back to the barn. It's a learned behavior that can be corrected. It takes a lot of work. Those of you that own horses, and if you've ever had a barn sour, Pam probably said barn sour. You gotta, and and the horse ain't gonna like the process. Amen. Yeah. They they don't like. Hey, make me unbarn sour. Hit me right there. Oh, do it again. No, they don't. They they're gonna fight you. They want to be barn soured. They want that. They want that familiarity and that comfortability of that barn, and they'll fight you. They'll take the whip. They'll take the, the cleats or whatever they're called. The, the, the spurs. The, okay. They'll fight you on all that stuff. They'll bleed. They'll get pain. They'll get all that stuff. You can cut their food. You can, you can punish them with, in different ways. And they will fight and fight and fight. But eventually, you'll get them trained into... Man, is, is any Christians listening to me? How barn-soured American Christianity has been for decades. Just want to be comfortable. Just say the stuff that I like, preacher, and I'll give you money. You offend me one time, I'm out of here taking my tithe check with me. Peace out. I'd rather be up here preaching to two that actually want to know the truth, that actually want to grow, that want to develop, want to be what God created them to be, than to preach to 10,000 who are going to judge me based upon how much I tickle their little fancies. I ain't the fancy tickling preacher, so if, you, if that's what you if were invited to, you, you... The fact that we have that in American Christianity is... Um, a derivative of, and I know a bunch of you are thinking, yeah, them stupid preachers with their fancy tickling. Really? You, we're going to blame the preachers? Or maybe it's the believers who made all the preachers know that they don't want anything but their fancies tickled. I don't want you telling me stuff I don't want to hear. Don't tell me what to do, you legalist. Right? Amen? Oh, me? Anybody? Am I preaching to myself? There's a, there's a, a syndrome or a, a psychological behavior that John Hopkins has, Johns Hopkins, that's hard to say, has, yeah, has, uh, has identified called failure to launch. 
Failure to launch syndrome. You might have heard of this. Failure to launch syndrome um, is when uh, basically kids, and it's, it's only like in the last 20, 30 years, where kids basically never grow up. You got 20, 30, 40, 50-year-old kids living at the house, still causing problems and irritants to their parents. And it's totally uh, socially acceptable now. Some of them are even encouraged to do it. Live in the basement, be a good liberal. (laughs) The stall in the development process of young adults, ages 18 to 28, this is John Hopkins' definition, the stall in the development process of young adults can include symptoms like feeling stuck, an overall lack of motivation, withdrawing from others, Keep in mind that the launch to full adulthood is typically a gradual transition. Amen. Anybody that's grown in maturity in a healthy way, it's all gradual. There, there's some times you wake up the next day and you got growing pains. Anybody ever worked out once? You know what the most ignorant thing you could ever do is? Work out once. Just call me to come over with my cat of nine tails. It'll be better. But if you work out once, but you know what happens when you work out and you work out and you work out and you work out and you work out? It's typically a gradual transition, a process involving different steps and milestones rather than a single event. Similarly, symptoms may occur and accumulate over time. These are the symptoms. I'm going to list a couple of them. Feeling stuck. If it's three years and pretty much not much has changed, we call that stuck. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with the ends knocked off. Where most people live. They get in their rut and they're like, hey, I'm moving, so I'm not dead. You just got a long grave. Being animated doesn't mean you're alive. Breathing oxygen doesn't mean you're alive. Not the way God intended for you to live. Abundant life is what God intended for you. Not breathing. Not existing. That's not what you were created for. Lack of motivation. Amen. Likely, not a whole lot of you got up on Monday morning and woohoo! That's right, Monday. We were easy. We were we were having our. Uh, I I love Mitchell Faith. It's it, it's on recording, so you have to be like, oh, my pastor loves me. So when I do irritating things, like yeah, but he loves me. So we're starting a school called the Academy of Readiness and Character, and. Yeah, we're going to rescue a bunch of kids out of the public school system no matter how many lawsuits we file. Because they ain't never going to get the way that we're going to be training kids. So anyway, we're going to rescue kids out. We're starting a school. And so we had a board meeting. And in this board meeting, that was one of the things that I brought up in the board meeting. I'm like, hey, let's do Mondays are like awesome day at school. You know, like when you went to school, like Friday was... Sometimes, sometimes Fridays were like, you know, half a Friday, we're just going to have gym for like two hours. And you're like, yeah. So I'm like, hey, let's Monday 
Monday morning, let's do the Friday afternoon thing so that kids can be like Sunday night, like, Mom, put me to bed, hurry up, because i got to go to school tomorrow, because first thing we do, we're going to play hockey for two hours with Pastor Steve. And then, and then they get into the week with this, yeah, you guys know this is Sunday. No, no. Sunday's the first day of the week. Have you ever thought about why God designed Christianity to be this way? First thing, first day. This is supposed to set your tone for the week. Which is why a lot of people don't ever want to go to church. Well, I can do it from the couch. Okay. You will never experience this. You'll never experience it. This should set the tone for your week. All right, that's it. In fact, they set this up. The church is supposed to be an ecclesia, a called out one who gather to do important legislations for the people that they represent. That's what ecclesia means. And we are supposed to be doing this and then taking it out into our world. So we're supposed to gather here today, get everything that the Lord has for us, Figure out the legislation that he has for us to take into our world. Get it all settled. First thing, first day of the week. And then go spend the rest of the week doing what we were legislated to do by our king. And man, I can't... uh, Do you not think it's demonic that Satan has figured out how to have, like, terrible Monday? After you experience God, then Satan comes along and says, Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll take Monday. Well, I'll let Jesus have Sunday. Because football's on Sunday too, and most people would rather have football than Jesus anyway. And so I'll give you Sunday. But I'm taking Monday. And everything after Monday is everything after Monday. Think about it. None of this stuff is by accident. Lack of motivation, withdrawal or isolation, participation less and less in life and church. When you see somebody participating less and less in life in church, okay, they're not launching. When somebody quits the, I'm going to quit the church and go start my ministry. I'm always like, okay, call me in a year. I ain't never had one. Ain't never had one. They don't make it. I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm just not going to go home anymore and I'm going to have a great marriage. You, you go ahead and write that book. See how many copies you sell. It, it ain't going to work. You want to have a great marriage? Be intimate. Amen. You want to have a great relationship with Jesus? Be intimate. You want to have a great relationship with anybody? Be intimate. You're, you're not going to be better in a relationship by being away. I understand absence makes the heart grow fonder, but that fond hearts, when they get back together, what do they do? Don't answer. Don't answer. <laughs> Starting school or work, but quitting. And not replacing it with something else. As a former employer, well, I guess I'm still an employer, but I did way more employees in my past. And this was something that was always unique. Somebody would be making, I had a guy making $90,000 a year working for me. And he came to me and he's like, I quit. I'm like, oh, you know, what happened? He had a bad day. He's one of those guys. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I accept your resignation. I will stop paying you as of right now. He's like, fine, I'm out of here. These people, you all sucked and whatever and stuff and things. I'm like, all right, where are you going to go? Well, I don't know. You you don't have a job picked out? No, I'm just mad at you. That's going to work out. 
It's going to be awesome. Those are the guys that come back in like three weeks like, hey, sorry about all the stuff I said. Yeah, I bet you are. Because life is for real. You don't get to do the thing when you're four years old in Walmart, throw, on the, throw yourself on the floor, throw a temper tantrum just so you can get the sprees. And then you get the sprees and you're like, that's right, owned it. You do that when you're a grown up? And they'll let you flop on the floor, bang your head until you're bloody. And they'll walk away. I ain't giving you no sprees. You're terrible. Why do we teach our kids with the temper tantrum? If your kid throws a tantrum, not, I don't think our kids either, ever, either, ever, uh, threw a temper tantrum. But if they even pushed back, whatever it was they were pushing back for, guaranteed not to get them. Ask Hannah. If they wanted to get something, no pushing. We never rewarded our children for bad behavior. And it is number one parenting tactic in today's world. Bad behavior, cry, scream, do terrible stuff, throw things, hit your mother. Here, I'll give you everything, just stop doing it. You're literally rewarding them for it. And now we're raising a society filled with people that get the exact same thing. Hey, you want to burn down downtown Detroit? We'll give you money. We'll bail you out of jail. You want to go to a trucker convoy? We'll take all your money from GoFundMe. We'll punish the good people and reward the bad people in society. Figure that out. It's based on this idea that the enemy wants everybody to be failed to launch. You realize if you launch in your divine destiny, the only thing the devil's got to do is cry and whine. Because you just done did it. In the kingdom, uh, we have to engage in these things on purpose. One of the other symptoms is not engaging in activities involving responsibility. You know, responsibility is like a cuss word today. You need to be responsible. (gasps) Don't say it again. I'll die. You need to be accountable for your behavior. You need to have consequences for your action. No, no. Someone else. Yep. Uh, Not engaging in activities involving responsibility, like school, employment, volunteer work. (laughs) You you, want to get something done, ask a bunch of volunteers. See how that goes over. (laughs) Amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Or even taking on more household tasks. If I came to your house, would I be impressed with your cleaning? The two people that said yep are the only two people out of 300. The rest of you are like, if he comes to my house, I'm shooting him. Let me translate this into kingdom. Let me give you failure to launch in the kingdom as it relates to this not engaging in activities involving responsibility. How about your kingdom purpose? Do you know what your kingdom purpose is? Are you accountable to your kingdom purpose? Are you doing on a daily basis what you should be doing to advance the kingdom purposes in your life? How about your godly callings? Divine destiny. Some of you, God have told you to start businesses. Have you started them? Uh, Some of you, God has... I put this in here uh, because I wanted to. These are my notes. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> this one's in here for funsies. Have you filed the lawsuits? It's kind of funsies because some of you have lawsuits. Some of you were treated illegally 
and immorally, and you should file a lawsuit. Well, I can't find a lawyer. Okay, then give up and go home. Or do the work. Lawsuits. Some of you are supposed to be running for office. Some of you should be elected officials legislating evil with your goodness. And you should be sitting on some committee, you should be sitting on some board somewhere, and they say, hey, we're going to advance this dark, wicked thing. And you say, not while I'm on the board, I vote new. And you see my five buddies over here? They're with me. So you better rethink it. The only reason that evil is allowed is because we legislate it and vote for it to put it into action. Amen. Running for office. Chasing your Jesus dreams. Some of you have had dreams in the middle of the night and dreams in the middle of the day that you know that you know were from God. And you did nothing with them except like, oh, that was a cool dream. Wow, that was really awesome, God. Thanks for that. Any hooser. Back to lunch. Another uh, name of this is called Peter Pan Syndrome. That's right. I do research sometimes when I preach. Also referred to as Peter Pan Complex. It's a condition in which adults continue to hold on to childhood tendencies. (laughs) I'm not going to look at nobody. Rather than succumb to the socialized aspects of adulthood, these individuals essentially remain in childhood struggling to accept accountability and venture out on their own. Though not a clinically diagnosable condition in the whatever manual, there is continued evidence supporting the notion that it is a true condition that many struggle with. Though often exhibited in males, it is not exclusively to men. Failure to address this condition early may allow it to be exacerbated. It is not uncommon for individuals exhibiting Peter Pan syndrome to live at home well into their 30s, 40s, and even 50s. And I would say this, if we translate this into like a kingdom uh, view, this would be people living in a church doing nothing for 30, 40, and 50 years. We call them pew warmers. And for all of you gals that are like, that's right, my husband, he a Peter Pan. Hold on, we got Wendy syndrome. I didn't make this up. This is from some psychologist that's better than me. Wendy syndrome. Wendy syndrome describes the characteristics of someone who enables a Peter Pan. All together now. All the gals thought they were like, get those boys, preacher. Ooh, the girls. Though initially meant to describe the adult male's female counterpart, it does apply to anyone of any gender who enables this behavior. So some of you gals are off the hook. Those demonstrating Wendy syndrome often mean well and believe they're being supportive. However, when a Peter and a Wendy feed off of one another, they become stuck together, facilitating a problematic codependence. Oh boy, translate that into Christianity. Huh? You know, this, we, this is called sloppy agape and greasy grace. When somebody comes in and they're stuck and you're just be like, oh, well, the grace of God on you, you're just so pretty. Hold on, I have a prophetic word. God says he loves your heart and he smiles. 
at you every day. Oh, go be warmed and filled. Thanks for coming. Stop by the treasure chest. American Christianity. Instead of someone coming up and saying, I'm super struggling in life. All right, well, let's put you into discipleship. Uh, That person that's discipling you is going to be all invasive in all of the areas of their life. They're going to find out everything that you do, you think, that you talk about, you watch, you spend your money on. They're going to learn all that kind of stuff. And then they're going to help you work out the things that are from Satan and put in things that are from God. Are you ready for that? Oh, God, no. No. I just want you to wave your magic wand over my head and and take Tinkerbell and slap her on the booty so she sprinkles pixie dust all over me and then I get the God pixie dust and then I go on into my amazing life and I fly away in a never-never land and I join Peter and Wendy. That's what I came to your church for, preacher. So now get that Tinkerbell and start swatting. That's what people want. They literally want to like come in here and like it's magic. God's going to wave his wand over you and you're just going to, oh, and you're going to glow with the reminiscence of God. It doesn't work that way. We change. We commit to him things that he keeps and then we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it takes discipleship. It takes people coming into your life and say, you spent $47 last week on Coke. That's satanic. How dare you talk to me that way? I'm sorry. That's very bad. You shouldn't do that. I told a a person one time, this gal came to me, and she's like, I got all these problems in my life. I'm like, all right, well, let's just pick them off one at a time. Um, She's like, you know, one of the things is my finances, and so I started drilling down. This gal spent, on average, $175 a week on McDonald's. I I know. And some of you that are ooing in here, you say, well, I only spent 150 She spends 100 <laughs> You know, only, uh, I just read a story not that long ago, only 60% of what you buy at McDonald's is actually considered by the FDA food. Food. Which means 40% of everything you buy at McDonald's is non-food. Now, if you tell me what it is, you win the prize. It's literally plastic and stuff. Please go do watch a YouTube on the atrocities that McDonald's pumps in. And they serve billions. Billions. Why? Convenient. It smells good when I drive by. And it's not that expensive. So in other words, you're choosing your health based upon what smells good, what's convenient, and what's cheap. That's not a wise way to live life. Do you see how kind I was with that one? Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read this in the Passion. Verse 2. Just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus left instructions. You could say commands. That's the, in the Aramaic, it uses the word commands. He left commands or instructions through the Holy Spirit for the apostles he had chosen. Apostle means uh, one that's called to go on to a mission. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Now, okay. He was crucified in front of them. They watched him die. They put him into a tomb. 
Three days later, he comes, reveals himself to Mary, and then eventually uh, to three of the ladies, then eventually to the twelve, and then even thereon, he, he revealed himself to, to the seventy, to the one twenty, and eventually to five hundred people. And he revealed himself at least 11, possibly 17 different times in 40 days. And still a bunch of them were like, eh, I don't think that's Jesus. So you're not alone when you're struggling to really believe the things that God's doing. But the whole point of how God does this is because the just live by faith. If Jesus just manifested in here and just warm and hold out his hands with his holes in it and said, I am Jesus, everybody in here would be like, wow, beloved church is awesome. And then he says, okay, I thus command you, I thus command you, I thus command you, write this down. Then people would say, oh, well, I know what the Lord told me to do. And you think you'd go and do it. If you won't do this, you wouldn't do that. If I can't jump to the front row, I can't jump to the yellow room. If you can't do the easy part, live your life on this earth without Jesus directly showing up in a vision, giving you stuff to write down. If you can't do the stuff that Jesus showed up and had people write down, then you're not going to do the things that Jesus showed up and has you write down. Amen? He did this for 40 days. This is radical. Most people don't read their Bible, so they don't know this. For 40 days, Jesus kept showing up, showing up, showing up, showing up, showing up. Now, why is 40 days important? You know, he was tempted for 40 days by Satan in the wilderness. The Israelites spent 40 years wandering because of their own rebellion, their stiff-neckedness. The floodwaters or the, the rainwaters of Noah were 40 days. 40 is a really important time. 40 specifically talks about the completeness and the transformational process of where the pressures that are exerted upon us come to fruition or come to maturity. And, and it's not a 40-day thing. Don't think like I'm going to you know, go through 40 days of problem and then the rest of my life. No, what it's talking about is you think... We, we get, sometimes we get into uh, doing things that God has called us to do or responding to what God wants us to do. And then we experience some pressure, some pushback, some, some persecution. Some, and then we're like, well, I'll, I'm going to... That's right, they're persecuting me. I'm going to push back for five minutes or a day. But when it's like, when it's a week or two and it's not letting up, you're like, God, hello, this isn't awesome. Just, it's all right, keep pushing. And now you're three weeks, hold on, it's three weeks. Hello, anybody up there, I need a second opinion. No, keep pushing. Keep pushing. It's all right. You're on the right track, you just keep pushing. There's this 40-day that when you bust through, you're on the other side, you're like, oh, the grass is greener. The sun is brighter. It is more awesome on the winning side. That's where my, uh, that's where my quote, my pocket constitution came from, from Mark Twain. 
when the patriot succeeds, then all these people join him for then it costs them nothing to be a patriot. You know, when somebody busts through, uh, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but the first, Roger Bannister wrote, was the first guy in human history to run the mile in less than four minutes. Roger Bannister. You know, now in high school, kids are running four minute miles? Kids in high school. Once Roger Bannister broke that, then there was another guy. Then there was another guy. Then there's another guy. Then there's a college guy. Then eventually there's a high school guy. Now there's gals. Before Roger Bannister broke the one minute, or the four, whatever, the four minute mile, before he broke that, whatever it is, fix me later. Before he broke that, medical science said it was impossible for the human body to go that fast for that long. Impossible. The human body was incapable of running that fast. And then he did it. You know what science says? I'm Dr. Fauci. Don't argue with me. You argue with me, you argue with science. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to those, to these same apostles over a 40-day period, proving to them with many convincing signs. Well, I've never had God prove me with any signs. Okay. Are you born again? You know there is no bigger miracle? That's a pretty convincing sign that the Holy Spirit of God moved into your life. If that doesn't wet your whistle, you need a new whistle. Now, I will say this. The world needs to see us bring convincing signs. So I'll say this. If your life is no different than your unbelieving neighbor's life, oh boy, should I get out of your sandbox? Okay, I'll get out. I still said it. Amen. Proving to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God's kingdom. Think about this. The resurrected Jesus spent 40 days meeting these apostles, disciples, people, believers. What do you think he'd do? You know, most people in... in uh, charismaniac Christianity like we have, they'd think like he would be jumping up and down and glowing and neon signs and angels flying in and out. Woo! No. You know what he did? Hey, sit down. Let me teach you the word. I don't want to be taught the word. I want to see some... Woo. No, you need to be taught the word. Sit down. I just spent three and a half years being discipled by you. You're going to teach me the same stuff? Yeah, you didn't get it. <laughs> sit down. He spent 40 days reteaching them the things about the kingdom that they learned from him directly for three and a half years about the kingdom. If I was Jesus, uh, never mind. <laughs> Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until, until you receive the gift I told you about. Oh boy, you got to be doing what you're told to do. you got to be where you're supposed to be. And you got to be with whom you're supposed to be with whom. The gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 
You know how many denominations reject the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Oh boy. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it time? Is it now time? This is totally like today's Christianity. Is it now time for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Is it the end times? Are you coming back now? Hey, Jesus, when are you coming back? Are you coming back now? I bought all the books. All the books said you're coming back in 1988, and it's late. This is total today Exodus theology. You've heard me say this. If your eschatology is that Jesus is going to one day come back and and do all the Superman coming from down from Kellel or whatever it is, and and he's going to do this uh, rapture of the church and take us all out of here, and all the evil people are going to stay here and they're mucking mine, like ha ha, burn suckers. If that's your eschatology, it sucks, and you're the problem. Jesus told us to go into this world and make disciples of all nations. That we are supposed to be bringing light into this world. That we are supposed to be the salt of the earth. That we are supposed to be teaching and training people to live and experience God's kingdom here and now. And if you're trying to get out of here because it got so bad that you need to get out of here, then you're the problem because you're trying to make it bad here so you can get out. You need to be here. It's time for us to change our eschatology and realize Jesus is coming back. We're not going away. I can't believe that this is so complicated for folks. He answered, The Father is the one that sets the fixed dates and the times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that He has prepared by His own authority. If you bought books on when Jesus is coming back, Please reread that verse. I have to move on. Verse 8. But I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. You will be my messengers to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. Jesus said, you're worried about the end times. I'm worried about getting the Holy Spirit into you. Who do you think has the better philosophy. Verse 9, right after Jesus spoke those words, the disciples saw him being lifted into the sky and disappearing into a cloud. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes, one of my favorite places in all of Scripture, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. And they told the startled disciples, Galileans, Americans, why are you staring up into the sky? Why is that our posture? Lord, come. Lord, please give me more money. Lord, please give me more peace. Lord, please. And he's looking at us, I gave you the Holy Spirit. I know, but that wasn't good enough. Please come back. I'm not coming back until you do with the world what I told you to do with the world. I know, but I can't do it by myself. We've already covered this. I gave you the Holy Spirit. Galileans, why are you staring up into the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back in the same way that you saw on the sun. Why are we spending our whole life looking into the sky? Mark 16, in the BSB. 
Later, as they were eating, Jesus appeared to the eleven and rebuked them. (laughs) I know this is mucking around with a lot of people's idea of who Jesus is. Jesus rebuked people. I know that's not very politically correct. It's not very Christian correct in America. But it doesn't change it. Jesus rebuked people. I know, just the bad people. Uh, He rebuked the eleven. You know what the eleven is? That's the twelve minus Judas. So that's the good remainders of the disciples. So he rebuked the good ones. Oh boy. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. I know you're thinking, no way could you spend three and a half years with Jesus personally, day by day, hour by hour, and you would still have unbelief and hardness of heart. I know you'd think that. But how long have you been a Christian? You know, you're more intimate with Jesus than they were for those three and a half years. Jesus specifically said himself, it's better for you the Holy Spirit lives with you than if I live with you in the flesh. Most people don't believe that. They don't know that's in the Bible. But it's still true. The Holy Spirit living in you is better than Jesus Christ living with you. Amen. And he said unto the uh, hardest part, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. I know, God put that in the Bible, that there's actually going to be people that aren't going to believe. It's shocking that there's some people that don't believe. What's even more shocking is that you actually love people more than Jesus because you want to make all those unbelievers feel better and go to them and pray for them and try to salve them. Jesus says they're condemned. He's okay with people rejecting him. You know, he's got such good internal character that he doesn't get moved by whether people like him or not. He doesn't care how many Facebook followers he has. He actually is just going to be right. And if people accept him and love him, awesome. And if people reject him, awesome. He's actually that secure. I know, we've never met anybody that's actually that secure. I'm working on it. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany, shall follow. Them who believe. This doesn't say them who are preachers, those who are the big super dupers, those those great amazing leaders that write books and stand at pulpits and do stuff. It says these signs will accompany those who believe. So we can find out if someone believes. Here's the litmus test. In my name, they will drive out demons. Amen. <laughs> I've never driven out a demon. Well, you better get you a Uber and start driving. They will speak in new tongues. We don't do that tongue stuff at our church. Yeah, well, that's why you ain't at your church. We do that tongue stuff here because Jesus said that's what will happen. Only for believers. I mean, you don't have to believe. You don't have to have tongues. You can have shoes without tongues. You're not going to break the four-minute mile. Or one minute, whatever it is. 
They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. We have snakes in the yellow room later on if anybody wants to play. (laughs) This is referencing Satan and his curse on humanity. You will take it with your own bare hands. Like Moses took the snake by the tail and turned it into a rod of God. We're going to take the curses that God, uh, that Satan tries to put on this human planet with our own bare hands and beat his sorry butt to death with all of his own curses. And they will drink any deadly poison unless it comes from McDonald's. And it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will be made well. Well, I've never laid hands on the sick and seen them make well. Maybe you don't believe that part. He says this works for believers. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out, they, the eleven, went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them, confirming his word by the signs that accompanied it. Well, I thought he sat down. Which is it? Did he sit down at the right hand of God or did he go with them working with them? Yes. You want Jesus to go with you in your life? Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is the believers. And fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers, and awed. Awe. That's... Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, now check this out, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we do what He's called us to do in the destiny that He's given it, look at all these things that happen in our lives because He's doing it. Well, God's not doing stuff in my life. I can show you how that works. You can watch this message about 15 times. You'll get it. He keeps what you commit. He will perform what you're believing and He said to go and do. He's not, God's not your problem. He's not holding out on you. He's asking you to get into your destiny, to get into your purposes and your callings, and He's going to work everything together out for you. But He can only keep what you commit. I'd like to bless you, so please rise. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. 
Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.